Mumbrella 360 is just around the corner. One of the streams is all about green. Don't miss your chance to hear from key sustainability change makers in media and marketing discussing topics such as greenwashing, airline travel, and the industry sustainability messaging, plus a lot more. Make sure you grab your tickets very soon. Mumbrella 360 will include four streams of cutting-edge content, a dedicated masterclass zone, formal networking opportunities, and plenty of exclusive learning. Group ticket options are available. Check it out at mumbrella.com.au forward slash mumbrella360. Junk food advertising comes under the spotlight again this week as TLMP Dr. Sophie Scomps calls for a blanket ban on TV and radio for the category between 6am and 9.30pm. Then, Essence Mediacom's previous CEO and managing partner, Pat Crowley, moves to join the client side, becoming Commonwealth Bank's general manager of paid and owned media. After that, a chat with Rich Curtis, CEO of Future Brand Australia, on the agency's newly awarded B Corp certification and its meaning for a business beyond sustainability. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis. I definitely did not take four takes to actually get any of that through. Joining me for the news chat today, Mumbrella's event content editor, who is far more succinct than I am, Diana DeCecco. Well, let's not count on it. And for those listening, it was six takes, not four. Okay, easy, easy. Let's move on very quickly. Also joining us, thanks, Diana, uh, on the podcast today, reporter and Mumbrella cast producer, Darcy Song. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Did you guys know that tomorrow is actually the shortest day of the year? I did, actually. Shout out to the Squiz Kids producers uh, who occasionally uh, throw us a, a press release and enter a few of the published awards and other awards, etc. Do a great podcast for kids in the morning. Uh, good on them. But that was one of the news topics this morning that I learned in the car on the way to dropping off my son to school that it is the winter solstice tomorrow. Definitely. Which is the reason why DDC and I would only be working for five hours tomorrow, <laughs> if that's okay. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean if that's okay? You, just, you tell, you don't ask. We're telling you. <laughs> if I may just go off topic for a second. Please. I mean, Darcy already has. Speaking of important news, did you know yesterday our favourite uh, confectionery you know, brand in Australia, Allen's, announced the, the end of life of the humble fantail? Oh, what? Really? Good. They are awful. They get stuck in your teeth. Chocolate caramel caramel. One of the world's Chocolate caramel. Go get a Mars bar. No. I'm really upset. I'm hoping this actually drives a whole new new um, wave of demand and maybe they'll they'll reverse their decision, but only available until July of this year. So get out there and stock up on your fantails, people. I'm more than happy with that. I've I've got to say. I'm I'm, like I like Alan's lollies, don't get me wrong, but I'm more than happy with fantails going the way of the dinosaur, that's that's fine by me. Today we learned Damo is a sociopath. Yeah. It was only today you learned that? <laughs> Moving right along, why don't we get into the, because that was actually a really good segue, DDC, into the first topic of the day. I do what I can. You do, you do, which is the junk food ad ban proposal. And I feel that we've heard this one a few times before, but we're hearing it from someone new this time because news came in on Monday that Teal MP Dr. Sophie Scomps will introduce a bill to the parliament this week called the Healthy Kids Advertising Bill 
2023. Just rolls off the tongue. The bill looks to place some serious restrictions on junk food advertising as a way to tackle the problem of childhood obesity. A very serious problem indeed. Darcy, why don't you run us through some of the specifics of the proposal before I feel like we'll have a very long discussion about this one? Yeah, definitely. So the bill proposed several sort of restrictions around junk food advertising on different kinds of media, you know. On TV and radio, first of all, it's proposing a ban of these ads between 6 a.m. and 9.30 p.m., which is already, you know, the majority of the day. But in social media and other online environment, it's looking to remove junk food ads altogether, except for the content shared by food and beverage companies on their own website or their social media channels. And although the bill doesn't really cover print, outdoor, or, you know, sports sponsorship. You mean they, they're not going to ask them to rip out a page between the hours of 6 and 9.30? I don't think so, outrageously, you know. <laughs> and, um, yeah, but, I mean, it already has quite a lot of areas that it's looking to regulate, which is the reason why I think there has been quite a heated discussion in our own comment section and the industry in general. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there's a few things that come out of this. The first one would be, do we have a definition on what constitutes junk food? I mean, that's a, that's probably, and both of you are kind of looking at me blankly, and I think I would have exactly the same response, to be fair. Well, it's very subjective. It is very subjective, though, isn't it? Like, if you're going to have a blanket ban on junk food advertising, and I'm not saying that it's not a good idea. Like, again, childhood obesity is a very, very serious issue. But we do have to define what junk food is before we can put a ban on it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they have been quite obscure on that front in terms of the definition, but probably I'm guessing because it's still early days in terms of the proposal. But, you know, as you mentioned previously, it's not the first time that that the question of junk food advertising has come up in Australia. You know, previously when UK sort of introduced a similar ad ban, there has been some conversation around whether we'll have a similar thing here. But the thing about the UK junk food ad ban was that they defined their idea of junk food quite like specifically with great details, you know, what, like how much sugar or whether it contains fat, that kind of thing. And yeah, I imagine if we want to move forward with this conversation, we might have to get into those specificities at some stage as well. Yeah, absolutely. And look, just rolling back the clock on Mumbrella and having a quick search of our own website, this is a topic that we've covered two years ago, four years ago, five years ago, you know, a lot coming up on proposed junk food uh, ad bans uh, with different, uh, I guess, measures uh, around them. If I'm going to be honest as well, though, I think the other thing is, I felt like this was almost like a bit of a, a drop and run press release. Darcy, I was talking to you on Monday about it and saying to you, let's try and get Sophie Scomps on the line or at least get a few more questions answered about this because we did have a lot. You didn't have a lot of luck there, did you? Yeah, no, still I've not heard back, you know, Sophie, if you're listening, hit me up. <laughs> we wouldn't mind having you on the podcast at some stage in the near future, I would suggest, rather than too far down the line. But I do feel that if you're going to throw out a press release, you should probably be around to follow that one up when the questions inevitably do roll in. Look, the other thing I found interesting, we got a very quick fire response from the AANA uh, the day after essentially denouncing 
the idea of the band, um, noting and maybe I'm being a bit of a cynic there, we haven't had such a thing on the continuous talk on betting and wagering ad bands, but nonetheless, uh, Darcy, you did manage to speak with the, the CEO of the AANA, Josh Folks. Um, what did he have to say? Yeah, it, it is very interesting conversation indeed. I don't think AANA has issued sort of similar statement on wagering at betting before, but, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. And um, when I put that question to Josh yesterday, he said it's because gambling and food advertising simply can't be put in the same category. And his reason was that they have different impacts on consumers and all of that sort of thing. And they have an argument around job losses, which I think was pretty interesting because their idea was that the advertising ban would lead to a sales increase, a decrease, sorry, for a lot of the brands. And that will be passed on to all areas of the production chain, like, you know, restaurant employees and potentially farmers. So I guess that's what that's one thing that they elaborated on. And then a second issue that came up from my conversation with some, you know, another marketing industry leader is really around priority. And their thinking was that, sure, there should be, you know, a better monitoring of junk food advertising. But is that time really now when there's still, you know, you've got booze ads still, you've got fossil fuel ads and you have wagering ads, like we mentioned, you know. Is it, and their idea was that we should have a greater conversation about advertising, advertising's role within the society first. And um, yeah, so to be honest, I don't think we'll hear the end of this issue anytime soon. There's got to be a first mover though, doesn't there? Like yeah. we, you can't just do blanket bans on everything all at once. Uh, so we do have to have a first mover. Interesting some of the differences you're talking about there between junk food or the reality of it and betting and wagering. I mean, a lot of them just aren't positive outcomes. But DDC, I wanted to bring you in because, you know, you've marketed at times in your career uh, what I'm guessing we would define as junk food, the the so far undefined uh, term. Um, how how do you feel we categorize it? And, and can a junk food ban work? Advertising ban, I should say. I personally don't think that a, an advertising ban, especially by channel, is going to do anything for the younger demographic. And because there are, there are certain channels you can very quickly say, you know, TV and radio, unless you're looking at very small children when it comes to TV, they're not even watching, <laughs> they're not watching TV, right? Um, but I think the bigger problem is when you have, um, when you have such a wide breadth of, of issue, ban everything for, for these extended periods of time, um, it comes across as a little extremist. So I'm hoping that Dr. Scomps is actually using that as a technique to help meet in the middle. Um, you know, maybe a little bit more can be done, but this this sort of over, this blanket ban just sounds absolutely ridiculous. I'd be leaning in on um, with with Josh's thoughts from the AANA with regards to doing more around, I think, I think putting banning anything just puts a band-aid on it, right? We're not actually solving the problem. And in my opinion, in order to solve the problem, which is childhood obesity, we need to do a better job of education and teaching kids how to eat in moderation. At the end of the day, something like fast food was never created or never developed to be a stable diet, just like, you know, donuts were never created. Everything was meant to be, that sort of food is meant to be a treat. So people who eat it every day, 
um, or overconsume it in some way, shape or form. They're the people with bad habits and poor self-control. So why don't we teach better habits and self-control and then everybody wins? It's just suddenly given me this weird flashback of learning about prohibition and the moonshine runners in the US uh, in terms of how blanket bans don't necessarily do what you want them to do. But interesting what you were saying there, DDC, in terms of sort of the psychology about this, because I was talking to someone earlier this morning about, you know, whether we should be placing a lot of these problematic sectors in terms of the advertising uh, around them into the same bucket. And the response there was essentially, when you think about uh, junk food and you think about betting and wagering, do you have the same emotion about them straight away? And, you know, both of us this morning, and I can see you sort of- Shake uh, <laughs> Exactly, the shake of the head there. No, you don't necessarily, you don't really- have that same emotion about now that it's acknowledged. Most people will acknowledge advertising around either of them is not ideal, but there's not that same emotional reflex talking about one or the other. And in my mind, the betting and wagering discussion has created a far more emotional reflex from most of the people in the industry. And Hey, we particularly saw it in the guardian response last week of not taking any of that advertising. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to see that same reflex for for junk food at this stage, anyway. And like I say, I think we've had we've had a lot of discussion around this over the last few years, and it's still sort of carrying on. Whereas we didn't have this same momentum on betting and wagering years and years ago, uh, but perhaps you know it wasn't as big a deal uh, back then, particularly with the emergence of technology that allows us to gamble far more easily than, than we were able to previously. Uh, but anyway, we must move on to the next topic of the day. Moving on to agency news, Commonwealth Bank yesterday appointed S's Mediacom's managing partner and previous CEO, Pat Crowley, as its general manager of paid and owned media. He will look to enhance the in-house media vision in his new role, which will start in mid-August. Now, this one was a, a fascinating one, and I think I said to a, a few people on the team, it was probably some of the most obvious news of the year that we were all actually quite surprised about. And I feel that includes the industry as well, because it was by far and away the most well-read story on Mumbrella on Tuesday when it dropped just before the newsletter. Now, you know, it was a bit of an open secret in the industry while Pat Crowley was the CEO of Essence Mediacom that he was potentially looking for a move away from that role. Uh, he's also has had very strong ties with the CBA for a long part uh, of his career, but I think in this uh, situation, Das context is is king. So, can you give us a little bit more detail on the the background of Pat, particularly with this move in mind? Yeah, I mean, I agree. You know, from what I understand, Pat has has always been known as the Commonwealth Bank person, and like you said, people always sort of speculated that wherever he goes, Combank's account will probably go with him. 
And his relationship with Combank also started when he was at Icon and it lasted well over a decade, probably even close to two, to be honest. And it really is a long time in the advertising world. And um, early in his career, he did le- he did leave Icon briefly to join independent agency Match Media in 2014. But after only three months, he rejoined Icon. And we reported at the time it was quite a surprising move for people in the industry. And it was around the time that Combank's media account was out for pitch and he was basically back at Icon to lead that pitch for them. So personally, I think it makes sense that he ended up joining the client side of the operations. Yeah, a lot of history with uh, Pat and Combank, you know, like you said, Das, having led that at Icon, uh, moving away very briefly and coming back um, and, and also obviously right up uh, to the Essence Mediacom CEO role, very high profile role, of course. Look, I found it really interesting that the press release that came out, which came directly from Combank, obviously first quote, from CBA Chief Marketing Officer Joe Boundy, who was uh, formerly of uh, Qantas. Uh, But positioned right underneath was a a glowing quote from Amy Buchanan uh, as well, Group M uh, CEO. Now, it's not often that you see your ex-boss put a a glowing quote in the release about your new role, which takes you away from their business. Uh, But I think it sort of goes to the strength of the relationship there. I feel that it's solidified the relationship between Essence Mediacom uh, and CBA. Uh, DDC, look, in your time, you would have seen uh, an agency leader or two shuffle client side. Do you think this will solidify that, that relationship? What have you sort of seen in the past? Oh, look, he's not the first and he won't be the last media exec to move client side, right? Like we, everyone's got a, a list as long as their arm that they could that they could quote. Um, but, there, you know, I've spoken to a few media people over, um, over the years about this particular type of move and there is apparently media execs, feel free to tell, to, to write in and tell me I'm wrong, but there is a desire to head to client side um, in, in most. Now, whether they actually act upon that, whether they do it, um, whether there is, you know, an appropriate opportunity, um, who knows. But it doesn't surprise me. What we see less often is client-side going to media. Um, and I think that comes uh, due to more of a lack of um, lack of the, the, the detail, the lack of the detail and the technical knowledge that's required um, on that side. Um, but, yeah, no surprise to see him end up at CBA. Um, they're a huge client. He's been involved with them for, for 20 years plus. Um, but it did make me think that – so you might remember back in February um, when Essence Mediacom announced Pippa as their CEO. Uh, yep. Yeah, and that was a time when Pat moved across to this um, managing partner role. I wonder whether this whether this this current move was actually part of the plan all along. And you know, appointing appointing Pippa was uh, again part of part of the program, so that they wouldn't lose Pat all in one go. Look, whatever the case, it was it's certainly a very tight family uh, over there now. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see just how uh, I guess prolific Pat is now client side uh, with that role. CBA have a a history of doing some very interesting uh, campaigns, uh, some interesting executions. 
so it will be, be great. It will be just fine, I'm sure. I, I have no doubt as well. Coming up after the break, a chat with Rich Curtis, CEO of Future Brand Australia, on the agency's recent B Corp achievement and the role it will play in day-to-day business. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. Today, I'm talking to one of the I'm going to I'm going to call you very well-known agency bosses in Australia, CEO of Future Brand Australia, Rich Curtis. How are you, Rich? I'm good, and I will take that. I Please will. do. Please Thanks. do. It's genuine. It is genuine. We've had you at a number of Mumbrella events. We've had you in a number of our articles. We've had you on the Mumbrella cast a number of times before, to be fair. You're almost a regular occurrence at Mumbrella. Yes, although I would disagree with the Mumbrella cast. I think I've only been on twice Twice is still probably once more than a lot of people. The first time, I think I spent the whole time trying to avoid talking about Telstra, (laughs) which was the big news. Um, But the second time was a little bit more relaxed, you know, talking about buying the business in Australia. So, um, so no, it's good to be back a third time. Third Third time. time Third time. Third time lucky. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's the end of the conversation today. No hard questions. um, Hey, Rich, we, we got you here today because there's a bit of news coming out of future brand in Australia. And it's kind of timely with what we've been talking about, uh, I guess, generally within the advertising industry locally. Uh, And the last Mumbrella cast sort of touched on this a bit uh, with James Greet and his latest uh, business, uh, the Payback Project. Mm -hmm. This is kind of the same, kind of different uh, as well, because future brand Australia has now become B Corp certified so i guess there's two things off that firstly congratulations thank you uh and secondly uh, for those of you who don't know what that actually entails rich can you tell us a bit about what this means yes so b corp certified um as as the the title would suggest it's a certification process um that really looks at businesses and the b stands for benefit um, in terms of for the benefit of people, communities, the planet at large. Um, and it's it, it's all around businesses that have a, a positive impact on the world around them. And it's a rigorous framework where you get assessed and it's taken us the best part of 18 months to um, achieve the certification. So tell us a bit about why, why do this? Why go for the certification? I'm guessing it's not the easiest thing in the world to achieve probably fairly time consuming as well what made you want to do it so when i bought the business uh three years ago now um one piece of advice i was given uh, was make it better than it was before and, and those seven words have stuck with me um you know both in a kind of formal and an informal capacity and so it's it's very much driven a lot of what we've looked at in terms of how we might improve the business and taken it quite literally to make it better and so, you know, when I came across the idea of B Corp, um, it just seemed to make sense. Um, and so, you know, as much as I think at a superficial level, people recognize it in terms of uh, you know, environmental factors, you know, when we talk about the future and having a positive impact, it's as much as anything about a holistic framework for how you operate the business. Um, and so it's not just about the environment or the community at large, you know, it's it's people that are much closer to home than that, you know, like your own team members. 
and the kind of environment we might provide for them. So that's it's interesting because it, you know it, it's not just about the environment. It's, it's I guess it's a, a lot about responsibility across a number of different areas of business. But tell me, Rich, what was the what was the actual process like in in getting it done? There's a, a lot of information on the website about what you have to do and how transparent you have to be to make sure that uh, B Lab can certify you properly and have a look at uh, you know kind of inside the business. Just how revealing was it when B Lab kind of took apart the the future the future brand Australia business to see if it could certify you? Look, we've always been very transparent as a business, um, you know, as transparent as we possibly can be in the ways in which we operate. Um, you know, whether that's you know engaging with our own people or engaging with our clients. Um, you know, it, it's just one of our strengths or one of our beliefs, if you like. You know, that notion of lack of transparency. So. You know, that wasn't too much of a, of a challenge. And we went into it thinking that, you know, there'd probably be a couple of outcomes. One was to force ourselves through a process, through a framework um, by which we could codify things that we were already doing, but doing them perhaps in a, in a ad hoc or even slightly haphazard manner. Um, and the other was, you know, finding ways in which we could genuinely improve the business. And so, you know, rather than trying to develop our own ESG framework, you know, there's a perfectly effective one that B Lab have created through their B Corp certification. Um, and so it made perfect sense for us to kind of work with that because it gave us not only a rigorous framework, but also a, a holistic sense of the business. So what they look at covers five areas of so this corporate governance. And, and that's very much about that transparency I mentioned earlier um, and you know how you run the numbers. Um, then there's also the employee experience for obvious reasons, um, the client's experience and, and how you kind of handle your clients and look after them. Um, then uh, the community and kind of social involvement in the community and, and then obviously the environment. And so the fact that it is holistic um, was exactly what we needed across those five areas. And so there is literally a battery of dozens and dozens and dozens of questions um, that you need to answer. Um, and then they go through a very um, a very detailed verification process so that you can substantiate exactly what it is that you're claiming to be um, at every step. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons that it takes, you know, it certainly took us the best part of 18 months. Um, 18 months. Wow. Yes, in, in order to go through that process mm. and, and and have every everything kind of turned over um, to make sure we're being, you know, transparent at every step. But as I said, you know, some of the things were things that we were already doing, um, like, for example, you know, being super transparent or, or even uh, initiatives like our healthies. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of describe them as like a sickie, only better, quite literally. Um, and everyone gets an extra four days off and we all take them on the same uh, day, um, the kind of the hump day of the middle month of the middle quarter. Um, and, and so, um, you know, there are things that we were already doing. There's some things that we're doing that were a little ad hoc, you know, perhaps even haphazard, as I mentioned earlier, like our pro bono commitment. Um, and so we've really kind of codified and programmed that. And there are some things that we're doing now that are entirely new and have been inspired by uh, improvements we've made through the process, like our parental leave process, uh, policy, um, where secondary caregivers get exactly the same benefits as primary caregivers. 
um, or our internship program that's ex exclusively for students from regional and rural areas to try and remove some of those um, geographic boundaries to entering the creative industry. And we pay for their travel, we pay for their accommodation, you know, to remove some of those financial barriers as well, you know, plus it's a paid internship. So, you know, it's that level of, um, it's that breadth and depth um, that the process has afforded us. And so naturally, you know, it's taken 18 months in order to do it properly. Mm. Um, now, look, I think your experience being part of uh, the Mumbrella uh, content output is kind of paid off just now because uh, those listening wouldn't uh, have been able to notice that the lights in the office have just completely gone off. And Rich, without even a blink of an eye, you've just kept on sailing on through your response. So good stuff. You and I are the only ones in the Mumbrella office to, today, hence all the, the lights and sensors uh, not uh, continuing to go on, which is uh, great for sustainability, but uh, not so much recording a podcast, but we're going to carry on yep. in, in the dark at the moment. Look, you answered a, a lot of uh, what I was going to ask you next about how it's changed Future Brand, the agency locally. Uh, so I'll move on to what this means for clients, for your current clients, for potential future clients. Uh, I guess the the question on most people in the industry's lips at the moment would be, does anyone care? about this do we care enough do clients and marketers care enough uh, about this sort of certification and these practices i think they do i think we all do you know oftentimes it's just not having the wherewithal of the knowledge or you know the frameworks to to help you do that i mean we certainly see it insofar as our clients are engaging us to work with them on their own esg strategies you know so we see it from that perspective you know, we see it in the questions we get asked of clients. Um, but, you know, that's where, you know, this certification, B Corp certification for us is about much more than just our environmental footprint. You know, as a professional services business, our environmental footprint is super light. You know, what we all we can really do is, you know, manage our travel. You know, that's probably got the biggest impact yeah. on anything in terms of air travel and things like that. Um, otherwise, it's more... The, the impact that we can make on the, the, the people whose lives we touch in some way. And that might be the employee experience we offer, you know, or indeed, you know, through our pro bono program by identifying those organisations who simply could not afford um, to work with us in the first place um, and, and who we can help and make a significant impact in some way. You know, our focus through this process um, has shifted a little insofar as not only looking to help um, people who might be underprivileged, but organisations that might be underprivileged as well. Because, you know, there are some very well-resourced not-for-profits who don't necessarily need pro bono support. And, and there are hundreds and hundreds of others that desperately need um, help um, in some way, shape or form at an organisational level. Um, and so, you know, there's some of the ways in which we can um, kind of impact those people. Um, and so, you know, we are seeing a, a positive response in that respect. And certainly the response from our own people has been positive in terms of the kind of organisation for whom they want to work. Um, and, you know, in, in engaging with clients or, or prospects or, or having those conversations in and around the industry, you know, it talks to the kind of company you are or the kind of company you want to be. Um, and I think all of those things have merits 
kind of irrespective of, of any one single data point around environmental impact or uh, kind of social impact or whatever it might be. Um, I guess just to hone in a bit more on, we've been talking about this a bit in terms of whether, for example, pitches need to have a rigid component in them around sustainability or around uh, employee engagement or things like that, which would, uh, I, I guess, be proof points to an agency being responsible, doing good, essentially what you've got your, your certification for. Do you think we need to see more of that within pitches or a more rigid kind of look at it within pitches? I think pitching is a is an inact, inexact science at the best of times. Mm. You know, I'm sure there's there's others who could, you know, dive into much greater detail and, and be much more specific about that. But, you know, it's not an exact science by any stretch. And I think where this kind of thing can help, I think very much depends on the client rather than the agency. So the thing that excites me most about B Corp certification is that a lot of what I'm talking about is not an add-on. It's just part of how we work. It's hardwired into um, how we operate as a business. It's not this little thing we do on a Friday afternoon once a month to kind of make ourselves you know, make us feel good about ourselves. And so I think it has to come from that client perspective in terms of um, you know, what does that business stand for and, and, and where are they at in terms of their supply chain and, and what's their belief about, you know, the kind of world in which they want to operate. Um, and, you know, that then provides a, a very specific and, and much more productive platform for the kind of partners that you might want to have. Um, so I think, you know, it, it's really taking what might ordinarily be described as a bit of a chemistry check, you know, which is equally kind of fluffy at the best of times. Um, and just putting much more rigor around that, um, you know, because everyone's going to say we've got good people doing you know, good work and, and good processes. Um, but it, it just enables that that next level of specificity um, around exactly how you might demonstrate or evidence that. And, and I think that's important in terms of, you know, the more transparent you can be about these things and, and the more information you can share, well, it puts more content into the conversation and, and you can have a much more open, candid discussion about where you're at as a business and whether or not you might be a good fit. Uh, now, I was saying to you off air that uh, I was having a look at the, the B Corp website and uh, they have a way to do a search uh, there for other businesses, uh, particularly in the, the industries that, that you're looking to. Uh, when I bashed in, advertising into the search box globally got 460 uh, results with uh, some big agencies that everyone would, would know about wide and kennedy uh shops like Havas london and new york uh, mccann dublin but when you narrow that down to australia uh there's 49 currently that appear in that search including yourself uh, now um and a lot that aren't I guess, front page trade marketing news um, every day. So a lot of names that you, you might not necessarily have, have heard of. Uh, does that surprise you, 49 in, in Australia within advertising at the moment, or is that what you kind of expect? To, do you expect to see more? It does and it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's purposefully a rigorous process. So, you know, that would be off-putting to many from the start. Mm. Um, and, you know, 
everything about ESG and our view of um, environment and, and sustainability and social impact and all those kinds of things, you know, you only have to look at the, the conversation around the voice, you know, that's happening, you know, in Canberra and across the country at the moment, or perhaps not happening um, across the country at the moment, to see how far we've got to go on a whole range of issues um, as a nation, albeit that's an entirely separate <laughs> interview. Um, and so, you know, for, for those reasons, I'm not necessarily um, surprised. And look, you know, selfishly, it, you know, I do see this as an opportunity to help us stand apart as a company um, by achieving the B Corp certification, because it's not an easy thing to do. And it's not, you know, um, something that everyone has. Um, but you know, that's not it. I don't mean that in a cynical way. I mean that in the way that it's a really powerful means of us surfacing on the outside, you know, what we feel and how we act and behave as an organization on the inside. And if the B Corp certification can help us do that, then great. And at the same time, while it might be competitively advantageous now, I dare say with the way things are, you know, with the direction of travel, that it ought to become and, and no doubt will become table stakes in the future. Um, and, and also, you know, B Corp seems to be the only certification framework of this nature right now. I dare say others may very well pop up in the future as well that compete with it. So, you know, I would like to think that we're pointed in the right direction um, and others may very well follow um, in time. Um, you know, this is just what's right for us. And I think you know, what's right for us to do as a company that, that has the wherewithal to, um, you know, to make this kind of move and, and, and you know, do the right thing as far as we can. Well, congratulations again, Rich, on the B Corp certification. It, it, it's a big deal. Um, I can't let you leave without asking you a few questions on another interesting topic that's uh, kind of come about, particularly over the last couple of weeks and that of course is the situation around indie agencies uh, with two very big new uh, shops I say big big in terms of the the names of the founders involved uh, those two shops uh, su uh, super massive and reunion some very well-known people in the industry starting them up I guess you're you're an, an indie in a sense but also with a big global name behind you you know, local ownership here in, in terms of yourself uh, with Future Brand. But what I wanted to ask you, uh, of course, is how do you see this environment playing out with these new shops opening? It sounds like, or feels like there's a new shop opening relatively frequently at this stage. There's obviously only, only so much business. Uh, what's your uh, What's your take on what the environment's like and whether it can support you know, a, a large group of agencies, both Indian Network at the moment? Look, the Australian market has always been incredibly intense um, in terms of the number of agencies. That there's always, everyone's always, you know, said there's been far too many agencies for the size of the market. Um, I don't know whether the, the whole codes, you know, have, have kind of struggled with that. I really don't have any great insight. And even to the point that, I'm not sure if statistically 
you know, your claims can be backed up as to mm. you know, yep. whether there are actually more Indies launching mm. now than they were. Um, I think what's changed is that Indies are very much on vogue. Um, and, you know, I think that's a good thing in terms of, you know, the diversity of the, of the industry and the diversity of the ecosystem. Um, we're in a good position insofar as we have that best of both worlds as, as you know, we have related to us by our clients that we are locally owned and independently minded and we come with the global resources of future brand worldwide. And, and we very much kind of live in those two worlds and, and make them work effectively together and so we've got how brands work how they're built how they grow you know how they transform and therefore transform businesses i think the challenge for any business is how do you move beyond any new business um you know it's how do you move beyond the personalities um and how do you embed a theory of change um that can actually create that commercial outcome uh, for your clients and, you know, that's not to suggest for a moment that those independents don't have that. I, I just think that's the, the secret ingredient, if you like, um, for kind of turning that opportunity and, and that reputation that all those individuals have. Um, and, you know, they've all got bigger reputations than I have, in spite of your um, kind of opening words today. <laughs> um, the, well, those are your words, not mine. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so I, I think that's, you know, that's the challenge. Um, you know, because the the relationships and, and the reputation will get you so far. Um, I think the, the the really important driver of business success is then having um, that clear philosophy and theory of change for how you're going to have an impact on on you know, your clients' businesses and, and, and the outcomes they're looking to achieve. Mind you, trust you to ask me to back up my claims about uh, the, the feeling of indies coming at us left, right and centre. I knew something like that would, would happen from you, but uh, you're always keeping us honest, Rich. Um, I'm going to leave with one more question for you, just around the, I guess, the, the, the current environment that we're in at the moment, because there, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, question marks uh, around. There's a, a, a lot of... Uh, possibly a feeling of insecurity around, but there's also a little bit of uh, opportunity. There's a feeling of uh, a bit of opportunity hanging around the air as well in terms of there's been a lot out to pitch recently. We're in some very interesting economic times at the moment. Consumer sentiment not necessarily uh, particularly high at the moment, but spend is still healthy enough. doesn't look like we're going to go into a recession, but who knows? Australia kind of has a, a goes on its own, uh, I guess, little adventure when it comes to recessions by comparison to the, the, the US and the UK. But uh, you looking at the market as we go into, well, you know, we're coming very close to now uh, H2 for calendar year 23. How are you feeling about the market? I think, you know, in terms of your choice of words, you could describe it as volatile. You know where you know there is a sense of opportunity in the air, you know, or you could describe it as fragile, mm. and the wheels could fall off at any moment. And in any given week, you know, you probably have both feelings. Um, I think, in, in very simple terms, if you're pitching new business at the moment, then you're in a very lucky position in terms of having those opportunities. Because you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, in spite of some of the pitches that you know have been happening. 
I think all up statistically, you know, there have been far fewer kind of new new business pitches over the last twelve months. Um, and it certainly feels like it's slowed in that respect. Um, you know, for us, kind of one of the things that we focused on very heavily a couple of years ago was the client's experience um, with a specific outcome around um, improving that um, and looking to drive uh, loyalty and to measure that in terms of the client and yes, net promoter score. Um, and so that's a strategy that served us well. And so we're not necessarily feeling the pain of you know, mm. our reality, which is fewer new new business pitches than we might have had in other years. We're not necessarily feeling that pain because in some respects, quite the opposite. Like we've had you know, a really big 12, 18 months of growth from our existing clients and those organic relationships. So from my perspective, it's a little bit chicken and egg insofar as we're seeing you know, much greater growth out of organic existing clients than are out of new new biz. But, what, but part of me thinks, well, there's just fewer new business pitches and, and, and whatnot. Part of me thinks, well, it's because you know, we've worked so very hard on the client's experience. And so you know, it's difficult to separate the two. Um, so if you've got lots of new business pitches right now, then you're in a very good spot. Um, and if you haven't, yeah, it might be a little bit late to be focusing on that client experience for organic growth. Um, and yeah, I'm just happy we've got a good balance of the team. Well, Rich Curtis, CEO of Future Brand Australia, freshly B Corp certified. Uh, congratulations and thanks for joining me on the Mumbrella Cast. And that is all we have time for for today. Thank you for listening to the Mumbrella Cast. Please throw us a follow or subscribe. In great news, I've heard from our editor, Shannon Malloy who has now just completed the Kokoda Trail. He's alive. Alive. Thank God. He is alive. I'm not entirely sure he has use of all of his limbs at the moment, but he is alive and he will be back next week uh, on the podcast. And the reason why I say that is now it is in the public sphere. He better be back next week on the (laughs) the podcast. Ah, that's awesome. Throw down to, to Shannon Malloy, but uh, well done, Shannon, on completing uh, a, an arduous uh, trail. Great work. Good to have you back. A big thank you to Rich Curtis for joining us on the podcast. And as well, of course, to my esteemed colleagues, Diana DiCecco and Darcy Song. Always a pleasure. Thank you. See you next week. Yeah.